Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. Hi, everyone. I hope this podcast finds you well. I've been staying very busy. I'm very happy to report that the Detroit Urban Craft Fair was fantastic. I had a great time. I had no plans to really buy anything while I was there because I kind of thought, you know, I'm here to work. Well, at least as far as craft sanity is considered work. But ended up buying a pair of shoes. I don't even have a shoe thing. I buy shoes out of necessity, really. But um, I bought the most fabulous handmade sandals I think I've ever seen. They're Mohop shoes. I'm going to be bringing you an interview with Annie Mohop. She's a Chicago architect turned shoe designer who invented these beauties. And I'm really amazed that a handmade wooden sandal could be so comfortable. I tried them out at the craft show and... I had a very specific kind of shoe that I wanted. They didn't have my size, and I saw these lovely pair. So I'll be getting those soon in the mail. I'll bring you more information about the shoes later. And I just kind of have a feeling, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if Annie didn't land herself on Oprah someday, or, or at least have her shoes on there as one of Oprah's favorite things. She's going to go places, this woman. I can, I can feel it. At the show, I also met Lish and Stephanie, the cool crafting forces behind the Detroit Urban Craft Fair. And I also met plenty of other vendors, including Amy and Val, the talented ladies who operate Makeout Goods. They basically validated my existence as a dedicated crafty podcaster and completely made my day. You got to understand that most of the people I come in contact with in my daily life don't give a rip about this show. So when I walked into the craft fair on Saturday, you can just imagine how someone like me would respond when I saw two crafty gals sitting at their table wearing my homemade craft sanity pins. Yeah, I reacted basically like, well, like an idiot. I (laughs) was such a happy geek. I had my mom take a picture of me and my daughter, Abby, with the gals sitting at the Makeout Goods table. I just want to thank Amy and Val and everyone else who tunes in because I really love putting this show together and hope it turns into something really cool someday. I just really appreciate all the encouragement. I wasn't able to get the Detroit Urban Craft Fair interviews edited yet, so tune in next week for those. And I'm not sure if I'm going to make it the whole show or just sprinkle them in or how I'm going to do this, but anyway, you'll get some information in the coming weeks. Congratulations to the Handmade Detroit folks. You guys really pulled it off. On to the show. we got to get to the task at hand here. This week I dusted off some interviews that I've had sitting on my computer since last month when I went to Convergence, the Hand Weavers Convention here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I just finally wanted to get a chance to talk about weaving since I absolutely love weaving. And it just seems insane that I've had so many episodes of Craft Sanity with no mention of weaving. At least, I haven't dedicated a whole show to it. So, I'm going to make up for that this week. 
a little background, you might already know this. I got completely obsessed with weaving in 1998 and have enjoyed many hours throwing a shuttle back and forth at my floor loom. And I also like to make smaller creations on the many smaller and mostly handmade looms. So this show is going to be a series of three interviews. First, we're going to hear from Nilda Kalanyopa. She's a wonderfully skilled weaver and the founder of the Center for Traditional Textiles in Cusco, Peru. Then we're going to hear from Richard Ashford, the managing director of Ashford Handcrafts in New Zealand. Then we're going to hear from Jane Patrick. She's a former editor of Handwoven magazine and the author of Time to Weave, a new book that's out. She's currently the sales manager for Shack Spindle Company. I bought my first loom. It was actually a Shack, and I love it. So it's kind of cool to get to meet the people who made it. As always, please check out craftsanity.com to see photos I took. you also find on the website, I'm going to post links to the guest websites. As an added bonus, we have a very cool thing this week. Check back later this week for a clever, no-loom-required pattern from Jane Patrick. Thanks so much to Jane for that. You guys are going to love this. I'm going to begin today with a brief chat from Nilda Kalanopa. She's the 46-year-old director of the Center for Traditional Textiles in Cusco, Peru. Her mother taught her to weave when she was just a little girl. Her mother probably never imagined that Nilda would end up dedicating her life to preserving Peru's rich weaving heritage. I interviewed Nilda in her booth at the Weavers' Convention back on the 1st of July, and she was weaving with Backstrap Loom when I met her, and she was dressed in traditional clothing as well. It was really interesting to stop and, and chat with her. You're going to hear me saying wow a lot <laughs> during this interview because I'm just in complete awe of the amazing pieces that she and her fellow weavers create with very simple backstrap looms. Check out the website to see some pictures of the stuff they make because it's, it's just fantastic. So here's Nilda. So if you could pronounce your, your first and last name for me. Okay. Nilda. Are you and, done? Yes. And your, your last name? Okay. Nilda Callanopa. Okay. And how old are you? I am 46. 46. I'm from Cusco. Chinchero, Cusco, Peru. Okay. And how long have you been weaving? I must have started at six, seven, eight. I don't really remember when I started. My so mother told me. If you can kind of explain to me uh, what you're doing, I understand you're responsible for maintaining this wonderful tradition in your country. And uh, if you can tell me how you're doing that. Okay. Uh, I am the director of the Center for Traditional Textiles. Uh, also the founder of that organization, which is a non-profit organization based in Cusco, Peru. And we have all board members from here, from the U.S., mm-hmm. who helped us a great deal to get the funds and to start the center. They worked very hard. So right now, you know, we are working with eight communities around there. Our main objective is to revitalize the textiles that were in danger of disappearing in different communities. Mm-hmm. To do that, we create, also we like to create the market for their textiles of the different communities. So the center in Cusco has a gallery which sells, and we have now a museum about the contemporary textiles of the Cusco region. Um, Right now we are focusing on the children's project in every place because we believe that the children you know, next generation is going to keep this tradition alive. Sure, sure. So that's what we're doing. So how young do you start the children weaving? 
Depends of each children, uh, of each family. Mm-hmm. The youngest, probably six, seven. Okay. Yeah, and usually they start 12, 10, 8. And what do they start? Do they all weave on, like, backstrap looms? Yeah, they, all our technique is backstrap. Okay. They start with very, very basic narrow bands. Mm-hmm. And they learn, experiment their designs. You know, they learn the designs of every place. I mean, and each community learns their own designs. And, and, and if you can explain a little bit about that. I understand each community has their own kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, would you call it weave structure that they use or pattern or what, what do you, uh, you yes each community has uh, their own designs that identifies that group of people and how did they how did that begin how did each community some of it? some of our designs comes from the pre-inca times oh wow you know, some of the inca and some of the colonia wow uh, i know that in the inca times and before that probably it was that the people had to identify by language, mm-hmm. by traditions, um, by the clothing, uh, which we are keeping until today. It's wonderful. Yes. Now, was there a period of time where these designs were kind of, people just weren't weaving? It sounds like you're yes. really concerned yes. about maintaining. Yes. In the 70s, uh, between 60s and 70s, almost the designs and the quality textiles disappeared in Chinchero, which is my hometown, mm-hmm. and in, in another place too, because people, uh, they were not giving enough appreciation to those things, and when they, we started getting education, you know, everybody forgot to weave. Uh, if they were weaving, they were weaving very poor quality weavings for the tourist market. I see. And that's why it got lost many very complex textiles and techniques. I see. So that's what was happening. So. In your experience, you've been weaving your whole life. Did, and your mother taught you. So, in your family, has this continued pretty consistently? Yes, my grandmother was great, great weaver. My grandmother was she was okay because she went to the she got her education. Uh, my grandmother didn't teach her all the parents, so I had to learn another very complex techniques from another ladies. Oh, okay. So your mother. So yes, but it was in my family and yeah. many another people's family. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and th- I mean, this is such intricate work that I mean, you can see one of the pieces right there is just. I mean, it looks like it takes so long. Like the piece, the giant piece there, that is probably like eight feet long. Uh, how long does that take? To, uh, uh, it's to done make? by five uh, men. You know, and sew it together. Oh, uh, I see. Yes. Oh, I see. It's so uh, that's weaving part. You know, oh, not I just see. producing the yarn and dyeing. Took like 40 days wow. each of them. You know, wow. and a woman helped to make the etching and the French. It was a lot of labor there. So yes, our weaving, our technique of the looms, very simple to take wherever you go. Yeah. But it's very, very time-consuming, especially if you are making very fine pieces and very tight pieces you know. and, well the quality is wonderful I mean it's, it's great yeah that's our priority that's our goal you know to get as close as we can our Inca textiles or the pre-Inca textiles uh, you know using very fine fiber very wonderful colors oh, and can you talk about the fibers a little bit are you using wool? we're using wool uh, sheep's wool and we are using alpaca and llama wool okay and you do all the dyeing as well uh, yes we do natural dyeing Nine, you know, since dyeing. 80 years ago what's what sort of things do you use to get your colors cochineal all the purples uh, reds orange okay and cochineal is, is, exact, is what exactly it's a insect it's a 
ladybug family insect. Oh, okay. It's an insect. It's a parasite that okay. grows in the prickpire cactus. Okay. So do you guys have to like round up these insects? To yes. Run? We don't have in our own town because it grows in the lower altitude. We're oh, I higher. see. Okay. We have to buy. Today there is farms that they grow in Portugal. So are you buying like live insects or are they? Mm, dried insects. Dried insects. But you can buy also live insects. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, so that's yes. a whole science unto itself then. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so then, um, what other things do you uh, use? Flowers, roots, flowers. Uh, you know, berries, indigo, uh, okay. uh, like that type of things. Well, know. they're very rich colors. So yes. They come out beautifully. We like to have very deep colors, <laughs> you know, very bright colors. Yeah. And actually, that was a dream for me to get the bright colors. Yeah. But now we're getting closer and closer. And the advantage of the natural dye is you can wash, you can you know, any time and doesn't mix up the colors. Well, what makes it permanent when you're working with natural? The mordants, the fixers. Okay. okay. That's so what you're makes it you know. Okay. So you're able to like, set everything so it's yes. not... Because, yeah, that would be a disaster to weave. So yes. time we yeah, didn't have yeah, it yeah, oh, yeah, no, wash no. out. Yeah. After we die, we have to we have to wash in the end. Yeah. And that's how we do it. And after we finish to weave, we have to wash again. Wow. Yes. And do you think that, I know in the United States, um, people go to places like um, the big big stores, like a Target or Ikea or some, where they're buying these you know items um, that are like rugs that are made in some other, in other countries. And um, it just seems like to get the respect for hand-woven textiles is so challenging these days. It's really challenging. Uh, it's very time-consuming. It's expensive. Yeah. Uh, it's hard, you know. For the people who are going, uh, who has uh, money only to buy in the targets, you know, these pieces cannot be possible for them because they're handmade, <laughs> takes so much time and price costs a lot. So it's the market is limited. Yeah. Well, wh um, why is this so important to you, though? It sounds like you've dedicated your life pretty much to yes, uh, people. Some people doesn't understand how much time it takes it. Some people, it doesn't just have the economy affordable for that, you know. Yeah, so it, yes. but it, do you feel like, you know, coming to a, a convention like this, I mean, are you feeling like people understand what you... Yes, Kia, there are weavers, knitters, and spinners, so, so they know. it's much easier to explain them, or they already understand, but if you go to the another market, you have to really work very hard to educate why the species are, you know, that expensive or why is that time consuming, etc. Right. Yeah. And we don't sell used pieces and we don't antique pieces or anything like it's that. It's all Everything new. is new. Okay. Than, you know, in the past, just the last years. Can, can you tell me a little bit about the weavers, the people who are making these, these items? Uh, yes, in every community they are uh, organized in a weavers association. Okay. Uh, in some ways they work as uh, cooperatives. Um, each weaver produce whatever they uh, they wish or whatever material they have, mm -hmm. and the center helps to them to sell. I see. Okay. You know, so they bring you the finished pieces. Oh, we go. Or the board members will bring, put in the price. Okay. Yes. And so they help price the materials, yes. and yes. and then when you sell the pieces, where where does the money go? Uh, we collect in the center. Okay. You know. 
and then into the weavers. Okay, and then the weavers get paid. Yeah, yes. And are there people that are doing this as a living? That's what they yes, do? Yes, there are many families, many widows that they're giving, for example, education to their children, they're improving their houses. Mm -hmm. uh, it's becoming to be a really important part of our economy in the communities. And what kind of lifestyle can a person have weaving? Because it seems like here, I mean, if you're a full-time weaver, it's really hard in the United States. Even, it's the same there. Yeah. The only advantage is that you stay in your own community. Mm -hmm. You still farm your land. You have your own animals. But you will get a little income from your textile. So this kind of subsidizes an yes. income. No one is making money solely off of No, weaving. no, no. Nobody's going to get rich or anything yeah. like that. Well, I think we all know. Yeah, yeah. that's... Yeah, that's just about impossible. Uh, yeah. 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 But, and, and as far as um, your life is concerned, how long have you been? Uh, when did you get the center started? Three years ago. Three years ago? Start. Okay. Ten. Ten years ago. Oh, yeah. congratulations. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, official, but in my hometown, we started 28 years ago. Wow. Now, as a center, it was just kind of formal. Yeah. Gathering together to weave our traditional textiles. Wow. And mm. and is it something that you just felt like you've always loved weaving? I mean, did you think you'd do something else, or has this always been kind of your calling? Uh, in my hometown, to make money, really, yeah. I work as a guide in okay. a tourism business. I see. Okay. Once a while, you know. Uh, before I used to work in tourism company, in a travel company. Okay. Um... Once a while now I work as a guy. That's so, why I speak English. Yeah, and have you got? Did you go to college? Yes, I went to the university in Cusco. Okay, yeah, because mm -hmm. your English is really good. Oh, thank uh, I you. would if I would, you know went to Peru, I'd be completely lost. <laughs> I, I do not speak uh, any other you know any other language very as well as English. <laughs> so, yes, um, and so that's really wonderful. And it's also it sounds like you've made many trips to the United States to you know, uh, talk some about trips. You know, some some of them was for the study reasons. Some of them was like convergences or symposiums or any kind that has to be involved. In the, Peruvian textiles or the Andean textiles. Yeah. So do you, I know you sell at these sort of conventions, but are, are you shipping some of the Peruvian textiles overseas to be sold in stores or locations here? A uh, few locations, I mean, not few, actually unique, I guess, the Fiber Center in Amherst will help us okay. to set up. So that's uh, one agreement we are just doing now. Okay. And that's why we are together. Uh, no. Oh, we need more con connections in that sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And well, I think that the, I mean, what you're doing is just absolutely wonderful. And do you have? Um, do you find that when people look at these things? I know for me, it just looks like wow. That's so. It takes. It seems like it would take a lifetime to learn the skills required to produce one of these pieces. Do you remember the first piece that you started with? When oh, you yes. Were, what did you make? Um, what was your um, first piece? Little tiny ribbon. Yeah, kind of like you have around yeah. for your, holding your hat yeah. on. Yes, yes. Um, and what did you know right away? Did you have a feeling that this is something that you're going to want to continue? Yeah, after practicing a few of them, I knew that I would love it. Yeah. And during that time when I was getting my education, any of my age students were learning to do that. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a very difficult time for me that learning and getting my education. Right, right. At the same time, and nobody was doing that. Yeah. But now it's, things are changing and there is more appreciation for the traditional things, so it's... Is, is weaving taught in school, no. in these communities? That's taught in the communities. Okay, so it's all after by school the local, by yes. the local like, relatives yeah. are passing it down. Uh -huh. Would you like to see it in the schools? 
since it's such a I would like, yes. Yeah, we're trying our education department to influence to the students to become to be you know, more aware about that and they have opportunity to practice. And what are the kids into? I mean, I know in the United States, kids are watching TV and you know, playing video games. And uh, what are the kids, what are you competing with to try and get a kid to weave as opposed to... Uh, in the cities, probably the same, same problems yeah. that you have. But in the communities, the children are more responsible yeah. in taking care of the animals and helping their parents mm-hmm. in the fields, etc. You know? And do, the, do you learn, um, the weavers, are, it sounds like since they're raising their own... Uh, sheep and and they're getting their fiber right from their farm. Are they also um, spinning it right on the farm too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, drop a spindle. You can take whatever you want. Oh, it's a drop spindle. So people yeah. aren't using spinning wheels. No, we never use spinning wheels. But that is, um, I have a drop spindle, and I find that I can go a lot faster with a spinning wheel. Um, Depends, you know. I, I think people, if they get used to the drop, drop spindle, spindle, they can do very fast. Okay. If they are used to the spinning wheel, they can do very fast. Depends, I guess, how much you practice. Yeah. And so it sounds like portability is a huge oh, thing. Oh, that's most important for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you guys don't really use a regular floor loom, which no, is not be something you're yeah. not really even that interested in that. No, we are not because they, we use different, very complex designs, and the floor looms will need. I don't know how many heddles to oh, do it. Oh, you just wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. 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 And I so. noticed that when you were working, you didn't have any kind of pattern or chart or anything. Is it all up in your head? Just you Yes. Know what to do? When we are learning, we have to memorize the shape of the design and the name of the design and the amount of threads. So. Really? So we keep in our head. So there's no. So when children learn, they're, they're taught to memorize. Yes. It. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really you memorize the shape of the design and you learn how to do that. And yeah. then that's how you remember. You don't wow. have to remember it step by step. Yeah. And so how many designs do you have memorized? In Chinchero, we have more than 50 designs. And you, you know them all? I experiment all of them. I don't weave right now a lot of them. Yeah. You know? How many designs do you do, would you say, on a regular basis? Um, I like to experiment many designs. I don't know how many designs I do. Yeah. And you so know? when you weave, how many ends per inch are, are, are a lot of these pieces? Some of the, th- uh, some of the finest pieces, over 200. Wow. Threads per inch square. <laughs> Goodness. Yes. Wow. Are you supposed to use certain colors for certain designs or does that matter? Dif- no. Uh, dif- that depends on the community. I see. Certain okay. communities has different styles of weaving. Okay. And so your community, the community you were raised in, uh, what, th- what is the name of the design? Is there just one for your community? No, 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 no. no. no several? 50 designs. Oh, your, just your community? Yes. So uh, another community has, has another 50? ones. Another oh, 40, 30, 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like you can't get bored that way. No. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so what would you like to see in the next five or ten years? What would you like to see happen? I would like that the that the weavers' association are more stable. Mm-hmm. They know what they are doing. They can manage their own things. Uh, they won't need that much help from my part. In mm-hmm. uh, this stuff, we would like that the people are trained and in running non-profit organization. Mm-hmm. And our board, you know, we would like to clarify some goals and some objectives and uh, fortify the center in many ways, you know, for the next coming years. Uh, also fortify our sales system, which is very important for the weavers. Sure. Um, to get published some things, you know, we, we didn't have time that much to publish yet. To so publish the designs or publish? Uh, publish some books, uh, catalogs, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes. And 
it sounds like um, you know this is. I mean, this is such an important thing to you. You've dedicated a lot of time to this. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and well, is there anything that you'd like Americans to? A lot of the people who listen to my show are, are you know people from all over the globe, but primarily Americans. And what, what would you like Americans to know about the weaving that's going on in Peru and what you're doing? Uh, we had very important weaving tradition in the past in our story. Mm-hmm. I would like that the weaving tradition continues in that quality, mm-hmm. in that sense, with that meaning. Uh, I hope someday our weaving will be recognized as a piece of artwork. And you don't think it is right now? Uh, not many people, I don't think so, they had that appreciation yet. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah. think it's going to take? To, to get it, uh, I think to promote, okay. you know, to educate people. Uh, well, I know that a lot of artists and, and crafters, well, weavers in the United States sometimes feel the same way. If you make a, a, a rug or a scarf, sometimes people just don't, you know, if they're comparing it to something that was they can buy for three dollars at a Why major you have store, to pay like ten times more. Yeah, they, they, people don't really understand that, and I think that's kind of an ongoing challenge a lot of artists face. Um, but uh, I mean, looking at this, it is truly art. For yes, sure. people who will who will have good eyes and good taste and they have little knowledge and they will understand that. Yeah, yes, yeah. so you're just going to keep making that push. Is yeah. it getting easier, do you think, each year that passes? Yes, because they practice. Yeah. You know, and the practice gives them much more uh, flexibility to apply more finer yarn and mm-hmm. much deeper colors. And it sounds like as your weavers become more experienced, probably the... the people start respecting what they're I making hope. for a little I more. Hope. And that's what's starting to happen in Cusco. Yeah. And of the, of the, the villages in each, or in each community, would you say that weaving is growing in popularity? Yes, right now, yes. Yeah. How, how's, we were the first project and now there is another project also who are starting that. Oh, wow. To work another group. So. so how many weavers would you say, if you had to estimate, um, just in your community, how many, peop- how many people you, would you say weave now? At least uh, five, 6,000 weavers. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. In ha- and what is the total population? About 12,000. 12,000. Okay, so yes. you're saying about, so yeah. almost half. 50%. Almost 50%. Mm-hmm. Wow. And how, how many people were weaving when you started this whole pro- push to get more people weaving? Of my age, you know, the elders were knew weaving. how to weave. But just not the But younger. my age, you know, my generation was not weaving that much. I see. They had kind of gotten away from it. Yes. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, well, how do you feel? I mean, this has got to be kind of a proud moment for you to, to know that you contributed to, to get people weaving again. I'm very happy that uh, many weavers, you know, have opportunity to sell their goods and they can make it really good quality as a challenge. Yeah. It's a proud for themselves, you know. Uh, self-esteem rise up, oh, especially sure. for women. Sure. Uh, I hope it's a good thing that I'm doing. I don't know. I cannot tell about no, myself. No, I think it's in, a fantastic thing you know. that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think. Mm-hmm. And what what is life like for for women that in Peru? I mean, here, you know, women kind of we just kind of do whatever we want. It seems like, but in Peru, what 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 is life like for uh, a woman? About our area, you know, because Peru has three different regions: coastal okay. area, jungle, and the Andes. Okay. I come from the Andes. Okay. And every region has different type. Of and so, what would you say? And then we have cities also that's totally different. different. So I'm just going to talk about the Andes. Okay. Um, women, you know, they're farmers. Uh, we have very big responsibility about holding the families, mm-hmm. uh, providing food, and managing the economy, etc. Et so it's very, very hard life, actually. You know? mm-hmm. 
Now all the time you are working and trying to get enough food for your children. So they're working yeah. the land and taking uh, care of land, animals? Yeah, yes. And yes. then taking care of children, preparing uh, weaving, food, yes. and then weaving. Yes. Do they enjoy weaving or do they feel Oh, yes, kind it's of, very fun. So it's kind of like here in the States when women and gets together and um, kind of weave. In most of the communities, weavers are women, but in some of them are also men. Yeah. Well, it mm. sounds like you'll welcome anyone who wants to weave, yes. right? Yes. And as far as the status, and the, do the men kind of run the house, or how, do, how does that? In some communities, the successful communities, yeah. men started to help a lot in the taking care of the children or animals or giving more freedom to the women to weave. Okay. You know. Well, that's good. That's yes. good. They, it sounds like they really deserve it. They yeah. do a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like this has brought, um, the weaving has brought a lot of, um, you know, they feel good about, you know, a sense of pride in their work. I think so. Yeah. Uh, working together as a group is always uh, uh, encouraging for them to, you know, help each other. And where do people weave? Where do the women get in together? In every community we have, uh, like, kind of centers. Is it a weaving center? Yeah, or yeah like weaving centers that the weavers build it with the help, with the assistance of the, another organization from up here. Okay. You know, uh, every place has their own shoulders. And then they, the, the women just bring their looms, their backstrap looms. Yes, and, and they pull out and start weaving. That's awesome. Yes. And so it must be so fun to, um, and that'd be, that's another benefit of having a backstrap loom as opposed to a floor loom, because you can't just bring that out of your house very easily. No. Yeah. yeah. Also, floor looms, I think, are quite expensive. Oh, they sure are. Our looms, that's not that expensive, but it's extremely time-consuming, though. Yeah, and now do you make all the looms yourself? No, where do you get your materials for the I looms? I mean, our husband does carpenters, local carpenters. Okay. So you, uh, the carpenters make the looms. Mm -hmm. And they're pretty, they're not real complex as no. far as what you need. No, no, no. And do you also, for you know, people who are listening, thinking, geez, this sounds wonderful, I'd like to learn how to how to do this, this art form. Do you teach, do people fly over and learn? Yes, the from foreign countries. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how do, what, is, what is that process like? If somebody's interested in learning, what, what do they need to do? Well, they need to contact the center, and then what they will do is, uh, you know, we, we communicate it, and we give the price, and we set up the date, and they will come down to Cusco, and they will weave them. And how, we have classes for two days and one week, Depending on how long the person Three wants months. to stay. Three months. I see. And, yeah. and, and is that something that a lot of people do? You get a lot of people? No, a lot of people, but we are new, so not many people know. But in the future, we are preparing. I would like that to get more students and more serious class. It sounds like a great way to see another country, learn a wonderful art form, and yeah. just meet other wonderful people doing this. I hope so. So, yeah. yeah. Do the women, um, since they're producing pieces to be sold to generate funds for their family, do they also um, make things just for themselves? Oh, yes, of course. Like, what's, what sort of things do women Shows, like to make? Shows, um, their clothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That must be particularly fun when they um, can go to the group. And Do you have show and tell, kind of like we do here, where yes. you, you bring what you're yes. working on and, and show it off? We do that. Yeah. Yes. Very nice. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks so much to Nilda for chatting with me and sharing just a little bit of, of her culture with all of us and telling us the story of this mission she's on to preserve the weaving heritage in her country. If you'd like to find out how you can support Nilda's efforts or take part in the Center for Traditional Textiles of Cusco's 10th anniversary tour, check the links that are posted on Craft Sanity. Up next is Richard Ashford.
He is the managing director of Ashford Handcrafts, a company that makes lovely spinning wheels and weaving looms and other art and craft supplies in New Zealand. It would have been cool to go all the way to New Zealand. Um, I'd love to go there someday. But I met Richard at Convergence right in Grand Rapids. You know, he's a smooth businessman, so he capitalized on <laughs> this opportunity to make a pitch for the new portable Ashford Knitter's Loom. But I resisted the temptation to buy this loom, although it was, it was really, really cool. So here's Richard. And you are the is second generation owner of this company? Yes, that's correct. Okay, and so who, you, tell me your father's name and when he started. Oh, well, my dad's name was Walter Ashford. Um, he started the business in 1934 in New Zealand. Okay. But the interesting thing is my grandfather was a Presbyterian minister who actually had a parish in Chicago back in the 20s and then was also a preacher in Newfoundland and Illinois down south and uh, eventually ended up in New Zealand. Okay. That's where he set, it up, set up his little woodworking business. Okay, so he actually started in Chicago, you said? Well, he started, my grandfather was a preacher in Chicago okay. back in the 20s. Okay, and ended up in New Zealand. Yes. Okay, a lot of the stories I hear here in the States are people who start in New Zealand or some other place and come to the United States. No, we did the so other way around. Interesting, interesting. My dad wanted to be a sheep farmer. Okay. That's why I went to New Zealand. Well, not, a good not place actually. For yeah, so we have the, the, the nice natural combination of wool and sheep and uh, spinning wheels and weaving looms. Okay. Sounds like paradise. <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> so, um, how old was he when he started the business? He was pretty young. Uh, born in 1914, so he was 20. Okay. And started, what was the first thing he made? First product? I think he was making little wooden stools. In fact, I know for sure he was making little wooden stools that you weave seagrass matting on. And he would make them and he would sell them door to door around the city of Christchurch. Really? He and his sister would do the weaving on the top and they'd jump on the bikes and bike around and knock on pe people's doors and sell them. Wow. And then out of that, this. Out of that. And then from that became spinning wheels, 1938. Started making spinning wheels and um, weaving looms. And through the 50s, more weaving looms. In 1965, this suddenly became a revival in, the, in hand spinning as a, as a hobby. Mm -hmm. And in New Zealand, it became very popular very quickly. We have a lot of agricultural shows where people would be demonstrating shearing sheep. Okay. And they would have, they would have people there sitting there spinning the fleece. Okay. And so people got into it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the looms came somewhere the loom. Looms have always been part of our, our business, but uh, the spinning wheels is what people know us for. We've made over 500,000 spinning wheels now, and they're all being used around the world. Wow. wow. And so in the States, do you think you know more about more for spinning wheels, would you say? I think we've got a longer history. We started selling spinning wheels here for over 40 years ago. Wow. wow. And so most spinners in the United States will have had an experience with an old Ashford spinning wheel and they quite often have them and they still say well that's a it's my favorite spinning wheel because it's nice and Even smooth though they have like and five or ten now. a lot of people yeah. have more wheels so yeah. we do we do more than one wheel obviously and our portable spinning wheel now is probably our most popular it's called the joy after my mother joy who was very instrumental in de helping develop the spinning wheel business and she was enthusiastic and went taught spinning all around the world so 
so this is nice. Yeah, it's fabulous, and, and, and so it's something you continue. You, you have uh, you're running the company. It sounds like I am. Yes, yeah. my wife and I took it over in 1988. Yeah. Although I've been working, I've been working for the company. I have the same job for 35 years now. So not yeah. quite the same job. I started off on the factory floor, did my apprenticeship, and. Uh, First came to the United States in 1978 to do a, a show in Los Angeles, where I met our distributors, Crystal Palace Yarns, who then carried the line for 30 years, until uh, Cindy Howard Gibbon here took over and carried on. I see. So, so a long history. Yeah, and it's, do, you, do you weave yourself? I do. I do weave. Spin? I spin. My wife weaves and spins. I'm very familiar with warping looms. Mm -hmm. It's a little hobby. Yeah, and your children spin? <laughs> they do. I've had children at our shows. Uh, I've got three children at university, so they're quite busy with their studies, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do they, do they um, make things to sell? They should do. I encourage them to uh, supplement their income with... That might uh, be a good way to I reckon. pay for college. I, every yeah. student should be weaving to sell stuff at college. Well, you could set one of these up in a dorm room pretty easily. Yeah, well, they could weave a scarf every night and sell it the next day. You know, they could, you know. What would sure. you pay for a scarf like this? Oh, I think you could, get, you could get maybe $40. Yeah. Thank you. So you see, because two a night. Don't yeah. have much money, it only takes two hours to weave a lovely scarf like this. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, $40 a night. I, I think it's kind of, it's, it's worth more than that, but I think in a college campus you probably get... You might not get $40. $100 for a scarf, you know? <laughs> well, they could sell it outside campus. Yeah, yeah, you definitely could. Yeah. Farmer's markets and things. Well, is that where they sell scarves? Or? Well, you could. I mean, there's farmer mar farmer's markets here in Grand yeah. People, I don't know how big the scarf market is in the summertime, but Cotton people, scarves. people thinking yeah. ahead. Decorative scarves. Yeah. yeah. Go to the baseball match with your own, you know, your own colors. Your, your team, yeah. Your team colors. Yeah, you might be onto something here. I think I am. So maybe your next book should be how to um, pay for college. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Weave your way through college. Yeah, and that's not drinking way. either. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some students Yeah, right, right. Oh, well, I shouldn't college. encourage that. No. <laughs> hey, Mom, I'm going to start weaving. Yeah. <laughs> I'm start weaving. yeah. <laughs> oh, you do too much of that now, son. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, so tell me a little bit about... Um, I know with the latest um, marketing efforts here, you're, you're trying to market your... In your Ashford, this is called the Knitter... The Knitter's, Knitter's Loom. Loom. Yeah. Well, uh... We see a lot of people who are interested in fiber, yarns, the weavers, the knitters. They just love having fun with yarns, and there's some fabulous different styles of yarns around now. Uh, we've got feathers and uh, bobbles and snowflakes and snow off and who knows. We've even got some cool New Zealand yarns. But So you can use all these different yarns and weave all sorts of beautiful textures and fabrics and you don't have to be uh, an experienced weaver at all. So, um, we'd say that people oh. using this new little loom can weave a scarf like this two to three hours from start to finish. Put the warp on, weave it, cut it off and uh, tie, tie the ends. And what, what do you think, um, do you think calling it the knitter's loom helps a lot of knitters who think, because I think when people look at looms they sometimes feel very intimidated and I've run into yeah. people who say, oh you weave Wow. You must like be really smart. Yeah, yeah, and I like people to think that. I mean, I encourage people to think well, they're really smart. People that weave but, are smart. But but, 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 it's, but I think there is this, this kind of heightened sense where people think, wow, I could never do that. And it, in reality, it's much easier, especially when you're looking at something like this. You New Zealand's a country that's known for do-it-yourself. Right. And we have this tradition of making things 
and uh, not that America doesn't do the same thing, of course, but we're very keen to use our hands and to uh, use use those sort of innate skills. And weaving isn't difficult. That's the whole thing. And what we as a company are trying to do is provide the education. That's the book. So it's got all the different patterns in here ready to go. The little loom for uh, comes in as a, it's already assembled. All you do is you take it out, put the warp on, and you're weaving, and you can have your first scarf in two hours. So it's really simple. And you know, although it's a 12 inch wide, you can sew 12 inch widths together and make uh, make clothes. You can do beautiful table runners, pieces for your home. Well, and it looks like it's extremely portable, which is great to you know just be able yeah. to put it in that bag earlier. In that shoulder bag. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, this, and this retails for you said one. One ninety-eight, sort of. And if you want to take the bag, it's only another forty dollars extra. Okay. And that just folds up like that. And does this come with? You have your your uh, all the parts are involved. And you have you have several different um, uh, reeds. This reeds. is called a reed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many does it come with? Different ends per Comes inch. Comes with. This is uh, seven point five. We've okay. made this specially for taking larger yarns. Okay. It's got the extra large eye and slots, so you can put these nice novelty yarns through here. Uh, we do a variety of reads. We do a five, seven and a half, ten, and twelve and a half. What does it come with? Just it comes with a seven point five. Okay. So and it's very relaxing. See, and you don't have to. There's no this heavy beating. You know, it's just sitting here, weaving away. So when did you come up with the idea to market this to knitters? Um, uh, knitters have been weaving for a long time, but since the advent of the really interesting yarns that weavers love, knitters love, uh, it just lent itself to the opportunity of why not weave with the knitting yarns mm -hmm. and I'm sure a lot of people who have been knitting for a long time would be interested in trying something different other than using two bits of wood or bamboo needles mm -hmm. and this is really all about texture and enjoying being creative mm -hmm. so if you can if you can knit you can weave it's I actually easy. think weaving I, I knit as well, and I actually think weaving, to me, is easier than knitting really? in some respects. Well, I'm a weaver, and I'm not a knitter, so I... I, um... I, I, I really think weaving is... Because I, I knew how to weave before I knew how to knit. You know, I learned weaving first, and I found it to be... Uh, I think weaving's easier. Well, you should try this. Yeah, I definitely want to try this. We are unique in the way that this folds up and into a very small packet that uh, you can put in your shoulder bag. It's so portable. So it's easy to take to class, take to visit friends, take it on holiday, take it in your yacht, take it in your RV. And uh, I think a lot of people are looking for portability. And you were first with this. Well, I think so. And don't forget about the book. Right, yeah, right. I want to talk to you about that as well. So what came first? The, the well, the weaving. We've been making weaving looms for 50 or 60 years. Certainly. So, no. yeah. so this product, you came. You, did you come out an evolution. at the same time with yes, this? Yes. We launched the, the, we knew the loom, we were working on the loom. It's something that just doesn't happen. It probably was a two-year R&D project to okay. actually develop it, to uh, get the componentry made, get the tooling made. And then at the same time, I asked Rowena Hart, who's a marketing manager for our company, is a very good author, and is a weaver of uh, 30 or 40 years, to actually develop and write a book that suits this... Uh, Use, using knitting yarns mm -hmm. for, for weaving projects. And so this book here is all about 
yarns, different sorts of yarns that can weave and the wonderful effects you can have. And it's written using yarns, although we're in New Zealand, we've used uh, American yarns that are readily available through most yarn or knitting shops. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, the very basic, uh, all the threading is the same for uh, it's, it's same threading under. style, yeah. Yeah, it's, the whole everything. And, so and you it get shows all the variety these, you the, can get. Yeah. And what you can do is use color and texture to create to create the uh, the patterns and the and the variety that you just cannot buy in a in a store. Mm -hmm. You can't buy these scarves anywhere. You can make them yourself, and you can be very proud of your doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. So your friends come and hey, where'd you get the neat scarf? I said, oh well, I made it. Wow. And they go, wow, you did that, really? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you find that, Jennifer? Is that, you, is that what you do when you go out to the pubs? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Wear scarves and I do, friends, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, you know, <laughs> how many new people you meet. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a conversation piece. Yeah. Well, so how, how well is this going? It's been out since November, and are, are knitters coming? Are, are you attracting Well, look at the booth. Yeah. You know? Yeah, people are flocking to it. People yeah. are flocking to our booth. <laughs> is weaving more popular in New Zealand than the States, would you say? Yeah. There's four million people live in New Zealand, and and there's 255 million live in the states. So, so, so there's more weavers the in the states. But uh, New Zealand, with its history of sheep and fiber, wool fiber, has a lot of people who are involved in knitting. Everybody in New Zealand knits. Well, I should say, most of the women knit, and so we see that they already really thrilled to have a little loom that they can weave weave on so well i have a, a several looms now i've lost count and it's it's really any type but that doesn't stop a weaver from wanting one more loom no I mean, it's, well these ones are so loom. nice well this it's is so different because it's very portable you know. are you taking one home today jennifer uh, are you trying to sell me a loom yeah, right oh, now? Well, oh well why not jennifer I like you're trying to put me on the spot <laughs> yeah i came yesterday didn't spend any money at all so if i go uh, home and oh. tell my husband i spent hundreds um, it's only 200, it's not yeah, even 200. Yeah. Siege. <laughs> Actually, they might be all sold out by now yeah, anyway, so yeah. you might be off the hook. Yeah, we'll yeah. order one in for you. Yeah, well, I think, I think you know, th these are these are cool. Well, I have a, a child, a two-year-old, She's but she's already showing interest in... And weaving. Uh, yeah. Well, she this needs these really little cool. shawls and baby blankets. And yeah. No, it's a lovely product. I think it's cool. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to say in general about, um, you know, just what you're seeing when in, in, in the United States, what's happening with um, people just, you know, increased popularity. Are you seeing that as far as people ordering from your company? Just the, the, this, well, this I, uh, I'm just thrilled, A, to come to the United States. I enjoy coming here. I think it's very exciting and it's, it's uh, always invigorating for me living in New Zealand, which is quite a long way away, to come here and I'm just here for the week, then I go home tomorrow. Uh, you go away inspired and enthused through what you see and do. Uh, American people are always very kind and generous, and uh, I just enjoy their company. Uh, and what else can I say? It is really a, um, it's a pleasure to be here, actually. Yeah. And all the weavers are so friendly and you know, willing to share their, their knowledge. It's nice. I enjoy it. What do you make of this whole, because um, there's been kind of a crafting frenzy going on in, in the States for the last five years or so, um, especially with knitting. People have really gotten into it. And I know that this industry kind of waxes and wanes where it really goes to some points where it's very popular and then maybe things level yeah. off a little bit. But what do you make of this latest craze? Do you think it's going to, the resurgence will, will continue? I don't, I don't 
think it's a craze because knitting has always been there. I right. think what, what creates the difference is the yarns that come out that are suddenly different and, and point a difference. We've been in parallel with the, the knitting trade forever because if you think about the spinning wheels, once you've spun the yarn, what do you do with it? Yeah, so you, you're knitting it or you're weaving it. Right. So we've always had this relationship with knitters. What we're doing is trying to offer a piece of equipment that will allow knitters to experience the other joy that they can have with their yarns of being even more creative than they were and trying different patterns and that's where we were talking about the book you know and all these patterns in here that let people try things so and it's, it seems to be working since you have well yeah I'd like to think we have you know we're creating awareness of yarns and weaving and for the people that um, making more sophisticated weaving looms we um you know, once people experience weaving on a on a simple loom, a two shaft loom, they can then carry on to a four four harness or an eight harness or a sixteen harness loom. But getting your confidence to weave on this loom, which is really very simple, you can suddenly think, "Well, I am a weaver." And then, you know, maybe it'll lead on to more exciting things, even more exciting things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has got to be kind of cool for you to to you know, take over the the company and. Get to go around the world. Uh, do you travel all over showing these? Pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and what? I mean, did you ever? Did you know when you were a kid that when you got into weaving and saw your dad into it that that's something that you would want to? It's interesting. As a kid, uh, I've got two older sisters, and it was funny in our family. It was always you know Richard will be taking over the family business, and I never really thought about it doing anything else. And it's just it's been a neat opportunity for me because. I do travel the world, I meet wonderful people, I enjoy what I do, I'm a woodworker by trade. So you and make, you're part of the... I'm part of the manufacturing yeah. side of it, yes. Yeah. We have uh, only 30 people in our company, so really? it's very small, Wow. but I'd like to think that we're efficient so that we can manufacture in a little far distant corner of the globe and still be competitive to come to the States and show our products and... Um, and uh, let people enjoy them, really. Yeah. And, and your family, how many of your children are involved with the company? Well, they're all at university, oh, okay. so that's so why I'm here studying. selling. I yeah, see. That's okay. why, Jennifer, you need to take one of these home. <laughs> 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 you have yeah, I got it. <laughs> Actually, tuition in New Zealand is not as expensive as it is in the States. Yeah. Really, it's not. Here is the equivalent of buying a new car every year. Every year. Yeah. Well, I don't do that. Yeah. No, it's yeah. like um, it's buying one car for three kids. Okay. If you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah, that's sort of, and it's a cheap car. Yeah, <laughs> second hand. Okay, it's a used car. Yeah. yeah. So are they going to be going into? Uh, well, uh, they're all too young, and I wouldn't like to You're influence their decision yeah. on what they want to do. Uh, the oldest one's doing a history major, and uh, the other two, the twins, one's doing bookkeeping, accountancy, and computer science, and uh, Lucy's doing medicine. So. I think that it's a really an interesting story, and it just it sounds like you have a really cool job. You know, you get to yes. make things that make people happy. Yes, it is interesting. Also, from my perspective, I could have just as easily been living in Chicago or Newfoundland or or Australia, because that's where my grandfather was preaching. Right. And it just happened to be New Zealand is where the family ended up. So. And do you have? Because you. Um, do you produce um, fibers as well? I mean, are you? Oh, we do. We do a, a lovely range of fibers. Fibers for spinning. These are wool fibers and, and alpaca fibers uh, for spinning, for felting, for weaving. 
We do a lovely soft range of wool yarns. This is New Zealand Coradel. It's a nice soft, 29 micron. And we do it in a lovely uh, range of colors. And we do a, a kid mohair wool blend. Okay. So there's, you know. And where does the, the wool come from? Do you know? The, it's New Zealand. Oh, well, you want to know what, the name well, of the I farm? Mean, well, though, do you know? The, yeah. Do you know the people? Well, this one, was, uh, this one was Molly. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I figure that was right over the plate. See where you go with that one. Yeah. Most most wool in New Zealand is sold at auction, so we I don't see. actually specifically uh, control where the wool is bought. So you're, you're not feeding the sheep. We're yeah. not hand feeding the yeah, sheep yeah. to raise it's the wool. We, we should have, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we should do that. Actually, we we've got a little sheep farm ourselves, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's more we, of a hobby for you. It's a hobby thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that, yeah. My husband won't allow me to have sheep yet. Uh, I'm working on oh, them though. Okay. Good yeah, luck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not going to happen. We live in suburbia. You know, in With suburbs. Yeah, yeah. There's no way we would be able to do that. I have an Alaskan male, and that's as close as I'm going to get to a fiber-producing oh. animal. I think. <laughs> you can spin that. Yeah, it's pretty stinky though. Have you ever tried to spin dog hair? Uh, I have. Well, yeah, when, it's, when it's, it's not easy. When it gets wet. It stinks like you wouldn't believe. And you can never get rid of that? Uh, I haven't been able to. Oh, we'll blend it with wool. Yeah. That's what we... With, oh, so you have hair. actually spun dog hair Oh, yeah. Before. Well, yes. Yeah. But most of those hairs, you, you blend with wool, and then they're much easier to, to control. Well, I really appreciate your, your time. I don't know if before I turn this off, is there anything else? You'd like, any other thoughts, uh, inspirations for the world? Uh, some mind-bending, influencing... No, I just think people should really, uh, if they're a knitter, they should have a look at this great little loom and consider uh, what, what they could do with it and all the lovely things they could weave. And how they could help you get yeah. your kids well, to most people. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. Uh, most knitters have a stash of yarns that they haven't, haven't finished a project with and this is a great way of finishing that stash. Yeah. Because you can yeah. mix your yarns. You know, you can use a variety of colors and add character through, through it. You know, and if you finish, run out of one sort, just put the next lot in and you're just adding another dimension, making it exciting. Yeah, it looks, it looks fun. fun. It looks fun. Actually, it's all about having fun. Well, otherwise it wouldn't be worth the trouble, right? No, yeah. well, yeah, liven yeah. up a bit, you know, yeah. relax. Hey, use different things. and A conversation and a conversation starter in the coffee house, you know. That's right. Yeah. I think, yeah, so, so my word of advice was try weaving. It is neat. You meet lots of lovely people, and I know you'll enjoy it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, Jennifer. That. Thanks to Richard for the lively interview. I want to remind you all to check out craftsanity.com for a photo of the loom we talked about. And in case you're wondering, no, I'm not on the payroll and I don't own this loom. It's just hard to justify the purchase when I barely have time to sleep. So hopefully some of you found that interesting as well. I'm just interested in the whole concept of trying to market a loom to a knitter. Anyway, we're going to wrap up this episode of Craft Sanity with a very interesting chat with Jane Patrick, former editor of Handwoven Magazine and the author of the new book, Time to Weave, published by Interweave Press. Anyway, it's only fair that I let Jane talk a little bit about the slick loom her husband created. And truth be told, if money were no object and I actually had time to weave these days, I'd happily add both of these looms to my collection because they're great. But don't worry, most of my conversation with Jane focuses on her fun new book that is a great primer for those looking to get into weaving without spending hundreds of dollars on a loom. Jane's book guides readers through a number of interesting and relatively simple weaving projects that use a fabulous range of materials 
While the book includes basic information about weaving on simple looms, it still offers plenty of inspiration for experienced weavers looking for a portable weaving project. What are you calling the loom? We don't have a really good name yet, so if your listeners have a good name, they can call me up. So right now we're calling the shacked, folding, rigid head of loom. I think it needs something a little more sexy, but um, the idea of the loom is there. So I've been teaching rigid heddle many years, and, okay. and the reason I'm enthusiastic about it is because it's a good way for beginners to start. It's not a lot of money for them to invest in it, and it requires less to learn. So um, I, I like to teach it as a way to introduce people for weaving, and there's so many things you can do with the rigid heddle because you have the open slot here that allows pickup patterns. <laughs> so. I wanted, and this is, you know, you are talking about Ashford earlier, this is how you're, and I had a good friend say that you you have to thank your competitors because your competitors are who make you do better work. And that was certainly uh, the truth with this case because I wanted a folding loom and we hadn't gotten around to making a folding loom. <laughs> and then um, Ashford came out with theirs and I said, you know, it's time to really get on this project. So, um... Because they came yeah. out with theirs in November, and mm -hmm. then you guys came out with your... How, right now. Oh, this is the new, yeah. brand new. Yeah. So um, so I knew I wanted it to be our product and answer some of the questions that weren't out there on the market. So that's what we have here. And so we have capacity to fold, and it's wide enough to do a placemat. And that was one of my criteria. So it's a 15-inch weaving width, and then we have one that's a 20-inch weaving width. Okay. And um, a lot of other features are old when you couldn't sit on the table, and now you can have it go under the second shed while sitting on the table. Okay. And so, our, so it just goes, so you go every other one, and you put right. it, so you, so have you set the up it up here. Position, and you have the down position, and that's what's so cool about the Rigid Hell Loom is that you have have a really easy way to make a shed mm -hmm. for the, the space for the Because before it was kind of a tricky, you know. Well, you couldn't do it on the table. Right. Either you'd have it like this, sitting against the table like that, or you'd have it um, in your lap. Right. You so now you can be actually standing up at the table. So that was one of your criteria. Yeah. And it's a little shorter, so you have it. Have it. It's very comfortable to use, and it's easy to fold. So you just loosen the tension a little bit, and you lay this down, and loosen the knobs, and then you fold it. And so how easy. how heavy is that? You carry it on the sides here. It's about uh, nine pounds. Yeah, and do you guys have a bag too that you it's put that in? It's going to have a very cool, you're going to have that yeah affordable fifteen dollar bag. Okay, so out the door, people can get this product for how much? The loom with all the things you need to weave, all the equipment you need, one hundred ninety dollars. So, so what does that come with? It comes with two shuttles, your threading hook, your warping peg. Does it come with um, different size reeds? You um, have your choice. You can have an 8, 10, or 12. Okay. So now, what if people are experienced weavers and they want all three? They you can get sell? all three. You guys sell them sure. yeah, separately? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How, mu how much are those separately? That's a good question. Oh, on your price list here. The 20-inch the is um, 39 for an extra reed. So the 15-inch will be less than that. Okay. Is this the first show that you've been to with this product? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah. And, and how, how are people responding to it? They love it. Yeah. They do. They love it. And cool. what I'm seeing at this conference that's really exciting to me is that there's a commitment from people my age in the 40 to 60 year range that are committed to introducing weaving to the younger generation. And they want weaving to be new and exciting, and they're looking at this loom and other simple looms as a way to get those people started. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to do in my next book is it's going to be a rigid heddle book, but it's going to be uh, concerned with materials, pickup, a lot of the new techniques that you're seeing now, and I'm going to do it on that loom. So I wanted to make it exciting fresh, accessible to new weavers. Yeah, and it sounds like this is something that even you're more experienced weavers, so... Because I, I know I'm a weaver myself, and one loom is never enough. That's true. I and mean, you can <laughs> take this with you. You know, yeah. yeah. And, and do you find that, where do you weave now that you weren't able to really do this kind of weaving before? Do you, do you find that you're taking it other places that you... Well, I usually don't take it other places, but it's certainly accessible in my studio. This is the only loom I have in my studio right now. Okay. It's a rigid hell loom. Okay. And um, it's a small room, and it just fits right in there. It's really great. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about my book, but that has been kind of affirming what I feel is the direction of hand weaving right now, is the concentration on materials and texture and yeah. simple techniques well, that why don't look we, complicated. Why don't we talk a little bit about your book? My new book, Time to Weave, is the idea of the book was to try to get people to think about weaving without the equipment hurdle. And that is always seems to be the thing that people say, weaving's too hard, it's too complicated, too expensive. Well, I want to make weaving totally accessible mm -hmm. so that you could come, you could do something in an hour and a half a day and have something really satisfying. So the other thing I want it to be is really appealing stuff, the stuff that you actually want to make, mm -hmm. not just simple. So that's what I really worked at. So like in my, one of the coolest projects in here is like a little entry rug that I went to the hardware store and I got a runner, a rubberized runner that you just buy, and I right. cut it into strips, and then I connected it with just simple twining, which is an ancient technique that requires no looms. So that that's all that keeps it together. So you, you weave a strip, and then you do this twining technique, and then I made a little accent on it by just bringing the red to the top okay. where it joined. Yeah, very cool. So, yeah, and people really like that one. So another thing I did that is just about this, as simple as pie is, is you take a big tile, you wrap it around one direction for a warp, and then you just weave across it um, for the other side, and you get this really cool design. So And that would be like a little wall decoration. Then I get into you know more real weaving, like three-dimensional with plating, using paper bags. And that's the other thing I, I tried to think about was what are some of the natural materials that are just have a lot of appeal, like cork. Mm -hmm. And so you just buy cork sheeting at the hardware store, a craft store. You cut it up, and then um, this is your opportunity to use a glue gun. Yeah. So you, you glue gun just the edges, and that's what keeps it together. And I tried to do something different. So it's just not the same size pieces. I use big and small, so it gives it a different look. So the, uh, all the projects in this book are projects you can do without any kind of loom at all? Um, mostly, but there is there are a couple that use a small frame loom. Okay. You could make that yourself with nails. I actually use commercially produced products. Um, the other thing that people are really excited about is this little mat. That looks very cool. 
It's just a, a knot. You make this complicated little knot and then you just follow the same path to fill it in and, and make a little coaster or mat. And that's really fun with materials because you have a, a lot of opportunity and, and scale to produce bigger things as well. So I also do uh, present other kinds of techniques. So here I have uh, wool that I felted to make something very insulating in an egg hat. So everyone needs an egg hat for their egg, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> do you use those quite often? Or? <laughs> well, if you have a soft-boiled egg in the morning, then you want to keep your egg warm. Yeah, yeah, just in case. <laughs> and so um, you do that, you weave that on a loom, and then you cut it and sew it. But I teach you how to make a, a cord. And then I do a quick and dirty on making a little felted bird for the top of your... So you're covering a lot of ground from yeah. weaving without a loom to uh, felting embellishments. So this um, project is, is, this is now real weaving. I, it was really important for me to have a project in the book that had yarn and um, on a loom. So this project is you just weave a little patch... I show it on a pillow, but you could make it, you could put it on a purse, you could put it on a pillow. Um, so they have a lot of applications, and I show you different kinds of weaving techniques to produce that. So you take it from the very basic, without a loom, to something that's actually quite intricate. Mm -hmm. Now here's one. Now, th this is so great. Do you ever do straw weaving? No, I haven't done straw weaving. Well, th this oh, is something... Oh, actually, I have. But I've heard people call it stick weaving with okay. the sticks, but yeah. So this is, they do this like in 4-H and Girl Scouts. So you put your warp through a straw and you connect it at the top and then you just weave back and forth. And the thing about straw weaving that is not very appealing is the texture. So I just took it and used a fuzzy yarn that covers up the texture of the weave. What did to make you it use, really appealing. What did thing. you use in this? What did you, what did you thread through the straws? The same uh, material? Pearl cotton. Okay. So okay. fine cotton. And then and are those I straws or is that something else? Like I, I like used a, just a metal, metal um, tube because it's smaller so I could get a finer weave. Oh, okay. So it's you the found same it at the hardware store. At also. the hardware store. And you just buy it and you just cut it. You just score it and then you just bend it and it cuts itself. Fantastic. And then, um, so then. This is, again, finishing details, a simple project. But then I just did a braid at the end for the ties. So that's the warp end that just gets extended down. And that really does look pretty interesting to, to add that on it's to the garment. It's very sophisticated. Yeah. And then I had some antique buttons that I attached with jewelry findings on the end. It really finished it. Wow. And the other thing I did to shape it is I took one edge warp thread and I pulled it, and it made it shape around the neck nicely. Okay. Yeah, who would have thought? Who would have thought? So how did you come up with that? How, what did you do to, to experiment I wanted that? to have some. I wanted to have some sort of scarf thing in the book. Okay. But I couldn't use a loom. And that was your... Yeah, that's challenging then to figure yeah. out how to do that. And that's how I came up with the straw weaving. But straw weaving, I didn't like the texture. And then I... And because fuzzy yarns are so in these days... I tried some and realized it covered up the texture of the weave and made something very cool. And then I, this is very cool. This is a bracelet and I used elastic for the warps. So after you're done weaving, you pull it to shape it around your wrist. Very cool. And that's a bracelet or is that a cuff of a... It's like a little cuff you okay. put on the end of your sweater. Okay.
Or if you wanted to have some kind of girl power furry bracelet wristband, you could make that too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're really excited about your book and and had fun creating it. It was a blast. Yeah. yeah. Is this, how many books have you done before this? This is, this is my is, one and only. Yeah? Yeah. So are you hooked now? I am hooked. Yeah. That's why I'm going to do the next book. Yeah, you're already And the same, same, same kind of ideas. Can we talk about the paper bag? Sure. That, that's, uh, now, I've seen, I've seen that before, people doing some kind of paper bag stuff. What made you want to use paper bags? Well, we, I was editor at Handwoven Magazine for many years, and we published... I was gonna, that's where I saw it. We published yeah. a paper bag box. Yeah. I always loved it, and I always wanted to do it. And... Um, Again, I wanted to do something three-dimensional, and I had played around with other materials, but I felt like they were too hard. You know, if someone hadn't ever done basketry before, I didn't want them to get discouraged. And because paper is softer than a basketry material, mm-hmm. I chose chose paper. And, and throughout the book, I've tried to use natural materials, recycled materials, things that you can find in your backyard, and so paper was a good kind of recycling project and then I did one that's just with no printing and then I did one that I used the printing of the paper bag so you so it becomes a design element of the bag and then I used funny papers and I made it rigid by just painting it with watered down Elmer's glue oh really So it made it hard and, and somewhat water resistant and then I did another one that I just painted with beeswax. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Well that well, how did you come up with that? I don't know. It I wouldn't just, occur to me to use beeswax. That's really cool. I wanted to make something make it more rigid and I like beeswax so I thought it would just give this kind of patina to it so it looks kind kind now, of funky. Is there any way to turn that into something that would hold water? Like what would you have to coat it with? Um, I don't know. Yeah. You'd have to, I think, I don't know what, around. yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, it is water resistant, but I wouldn't say it's water. Yeah, you wouldn't want to like put flowers water. or anything into yeah. it. Yeah. And what? then I have a basket in the book that I just went out into the backyard and I picked iris leaves and I plated those. So how you do that is you just wet them and you put a little glycerin in your water, a few drops to okay. make it really pliable. And then you do it while they're still damp. Have a good oh, wow. Bag, well, so this was a really fun one, too. This is um, sheet plastic that you buy to just put over your windows in the winter. Yeah. And I, Because what I wanted was something in the window that you could see through, but again, didn't require a loom. And mm-hmm. I was having a terrible time trying to come up with things. I didn't want a big, awkward frame. And so what could you do that could have light shine through you could hang in the window and I don't know how I came up with this idea but I got plastic I sliced it so there's so it's just a sheet of plastic you slice it and then I got ribbon and I wove the ribbon in and out okay and because it the plastic's a little bit rigid and the ribbon is soft mm-hmm. it wafts in and out and makes makes these curvy lines it's really fun oh, and wow. then you can see through and then you just hang it you just hung it in front of the window I, you hang it in front of the window and you do have to I have a special kind of tape you sew through on the edge when you just sew the the ribbon down along the edge to keep it in place I see so this does require machine sewing at the end right to keep it in t- together mm-hmm. but then I did a really fun thing so here's just some other examples in my book but the really fun one was to, I took con- clear contact paper, and then I just had some junk I threw on there, like sequins and yarn, 
and then I put the plastic on top of it so I made a sandwich with all this glittery stuff oh, in yeah. it. And then I cut that up and mold it. Very cool. So you got, this was a chance for you to kind of experiment with... Yeah. What advice do you have for people who are looking to um, just kind of think outside the box and try weaving? Because uh, it sounds like, you, I mean, you clearly do not need a loom to, to weave. I mean, you could do some really excellent stuff with mm -hmm. a loom, but yeah. but um, for people at home, I mean, what, where would you tell them if there's a room in their house that they can look for the most likely the most likely place to find things to weave? Well, they should go to their junk drawer. You know, go, go to, I have things in here in string. Yeah. Um, I, ha I use uh, bolts and uh, washers and... I think what I would just have fun, experiment, yeah. um, try new things. And it helps if you know what you want to make. If you have an idea in your head, you say you want to do a pillow, then just start playing because then you know what you're after. Right, right, for sure. So I'd like to get just briefly a, history, you know, a little bit about you and how you got into this whole creative uh, all these cre this creative business that you're in and then writing books. Um, what did you start out wanting to be? Well, my degree is in cultural anthropology. Okay. But I, when I first learned to weave, I, I was an exchange student in Iceland. Okay. And what I, year was that? 1971. Okay. I was in Iceland, and part of the exchange year is they wanted us to spend a month at a home ex school. Okay. And so I went there, and they had looms just in the in the room and I was like this is something I have to do mm -hmm. I've got to be a weaver and they had finished their weaving session and I guess I begged but they let me go in and just weave the warps off I didn't know what I was doing mm -hmm. and then um, so then I knew I wanted to learn to weave but I wasn't in a place until I moved to Boulder in 1976 and I took a class from Deborah Redding she's now Deborah Chandler and everyone knows the book, Learning to Weave. I have the book, She yes. was my teacher. Mm -hmm. Oh, fabulous. Mm -hmm. And then I was a social worker, and I needed a new job. So uh, Debbie suggested I go to Interweave because they had a shipper job open. At least I could Shipper, pick. like what is that? Like ship books. Oh, you would just ship the books. Yeah. Okay. And so I went there, I interviewed with Linda Ligon, and I never was a shipper. Yeah. I just started as her assistant. Uh -huh. And I had a knack for editorial, and then I became the uh, editor of Handwoven, and then I edited Debbie's book and other books at Interweave. And I was there for 12 years. Well, and I'm curious about that. You said you were a social worker, is mm -hmm. what you did for a while. And how long did you spend working as a social worker? Uh, three years. And why did, you, why did you decide to go from social work to Interweave? I mean, what was it that... I couldn't see a result. Yeah, that is kind of an ongoing, and sometimes you don't get a good result, you know. Yeah. And I love the kids. I love I loved working with the kids. I worked with low-income kids, and then I worked with kids that got in trouble with the law and diversion programs. That mm -hmm. was the big thing in the 70s. And it was difficult, I found, especially when I worked for youth employment. It was a government CETA program that provided jobs for youth, and we had training programs but it was most difficult to serve the most needy because of all the paperwork required. Mm -hmm. I And that was really heartbreaking for me that the kids that really, really needed, I couldn't help them because they couldn't bring in their birth certificate or whatever papers yeah, they needed. Yeah, that is pretty frustrating. And there was just a lot of paperwork. So you decided that... I knew I had to do something else. And, yeah. and also funding was always questionable. And... I was weaving. Weaving was my hobby. I loved it. I was. Mm -hmm. I hung out at the weaving shop, and so the writing was kind of on the wall. Yeah. yeah. 
And so to, to go there, and I didn't know anything about editing, and I didn't really know that much about weaving, and I really learned a lot as being an editor. Yeah, yeah. You're really kind of forced fun. to go over every detail. And, yeah. And then I left Interweave because I had a daughter at home, I, and I had an hour commute. I didn't want to do that anymore with a daughter. So I, I stayed home. I was a Girl Scout leader. I you know did all those things. And then uh, my husband needed some help at Shaq's Spindle Company, and so I went in to help, and I'm so, still there. So was he, 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 when did he start the business? That Barry started the business in 1969 with his brother. Okay, and then when did you meet Barry? I met Barry at the weaving shop in 1979. Okay, so about 10 years later you met him. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened when you guys met? Did you know right away that this man has uh, all the connections? He's a weaver, he's, he's making equipment and... You were trying to get looms for free, or what was going on here? Oh, uh, no, no looms. Well, I had my loom, and so I, I met him, And but our friend didn't know that Barry wanted to ask me out. So he chased me out of the weaving shop and asked me out, and I said, okay, I'll go out. So then we did go out, but then I decided I didn't ever want to go out with him again. Now, how old were you guys at the time? I, I think I was 29 when we got married, so yeah. I was like 27 when we met. Okay, and how old was he? About, how he was old 10 was he? years older than me. Okay, okay. But he was just like the guy I broke up with, so I decided I didn't want to go there again. Yeah. Because I'm making the same mistake. So I saw him again. I told him I never wanted to see him again. <laughs> well, you obviously wavered on that decision. Well, but then he said, well, let's talk about it. Oh, so, so the rest persistent. is history. Yeah. yeah, so you talked about it, evidently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you guys have been married how long now? Um, this year we'll be married um, almost 20 years. Very cool. And, how, and how you guys have two we kids? Have, we have yeah. a daughter. Yeah. She's 20. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So you have, the, I guess, the perfect blend of, you know, your weaving knowledge, your, your love of weaving, and he makes the looms now. Right. So that's right. really fun. And it sounds like you're involved now. Um, initially you were not because you were at Interweave and not in the daily workings of the company and now you're you're part of the team it sounds like very much part of the team yeah yeah and you know having uh, I've always been friends maintain my relationship with Interweave and I did writing for Hanwell but, but now doing the book has been really great to have that connection oh, back sure. again yeah sure and you know I felt like this book had been kind of in the background and then when when my daughter left home I could actually start thinking about you know, doing what I want to do for a little bit. Yeah. What is it like to work with your husband? You know, I thought it'd be really bad. Yeah. But it's actually, I'd say we have a deeper relationship now. Yeah. We, we do everything together. Yeah. <laughs> we work, we live, we like to cook together. And yeah. Well, it's great. And I know my husband and I met in college at the student newspaper, and we've worked together the whole time we've known each other. We're both journalists, so it is, I think it's, a, it's an interesting way to, to go through life. You know, not every couple can do it, though. It's true, yeah. but it's worked for us, yeah, and I didn't know if too. it would, but yeah. it's been really great. Yeah, that's really cool. And so what do you see as the next trend in weaving? I I think it's texture. Yeah, texture. I think, I think people want, and I've been hearing weavers that have been weaving for 20, 30 years saying, and I'm actually teaching a, a workshop. I was asked to teach a, a, or give a lecture on thinking outside the box. <laughs> so my colleague Betsy Blumenthal, who's done a lot of experiments, with structure and, and materials, we're going to give a workshop on you know other ways to think about weaving, other materials to bring into their work to mm-hmm. make it fresh and exciting. 
Well, I think that it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. You know, because now it seems like the, with the smaller portable looms, uh, there, there's an effort being made to try and attract the knitters to the to the field of, to the weaving craft, and it seems to be working. And do you feel that way? That I, I think we have two ends of the market, and I think both are important. I think this is the rigid heddle loom, and that kind of really fresh approach. Mm-hmm. It's going to attract those people. If we don't do that, I, they, they don't want to just weave dish towels. No, no they one want, wants to, they, yeah. yeah, they just they want to have something that's very uh, attractive to wear or a uh, home decor item that's really unique and different. Right. But the other big segment of the market are people that are 55, 60, 65, and they're retiring or they're working less and their kids are gone. And they have more time, and they're going back to weaving that they started in the 70s, and that's what they want to do now. And it is interesting how it seems like for a period of time there, um, women kind of, as they gain more respect in the workplace, um, kind of, you know, kind of didn't want, kind of wanted to detach themselves from the knitting and the weaving. They didn't have time. Uh, Well, yeah, and also I think there was a stigma that it was this, that women just did the silly little thing and it didn't have the respect it has now and what do you think about just the place it has now in our society and and as a as a woman yourself um, going through that time period did you feel like there was ever a point when you you know kind of were not as public with the fact that you did all these things or for you has it been just a big part of your life the whole way through well I think I've been a lucky person because I got to do my passion for my living you sure did yeah, yeah. so I, I think that women have, were so busy, they couldn't even think about mm-hmm. that. And, and I think when I first started weaving in Boulder, women weren't in the workplace. Weaving and craft was their outlet. That was their community. That's what they did. That was their identity. Mm-hmm. When they started working, that was their identity. And they were too busy with their kids and cooking and cleaning and all the things that come with running a household and having a job that they couldn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think now, I, I really truly think people ha- are looking at a more balance in their life. Mm-hmm. That they want, they might want to work because they like that kind of connection, but they want to work less. They want to have a life. They want to do things that, that matter to them. Do you think women might have uh, more time partly because men, the men in their lives are doing more than they were maybe... I would like you to think, think so. so. Yeah, because I know in my case, I mean, we have like a 50-50 split on like, well, actually my husband in many cases does more at times, you know, when I'm out, like today, right now, he's watching the kids, you know, and happily doing that. And so it's, because it, it's horrible, you know, when women had to come home and run the household too. It was like, you know, and then who has time to knit or weave or anything? Yeah. 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 So. And, and I think for the, I think that's true. And I think for the, the younger people coming into it, I think, in a way, craft is having the same resurgence that the arts and crafts movement had to industrialization. And then that's really when the craft movement started, mm-hmm. because people wanted to hold on to making things by hand. And I think people still have that very need to make something and be involved with, with materials. Well, it sure is fun doing these things. So thank you so much. You're I appreciate so welcome. that. Thanks to Jane for walking us through her book and sharing a project with us, Jane's Fun and Easy Packet Weave Sachet. It's a bonus project. You won't find it in her book, so check out Weaving if you've never done it before. This would be a good way to get your feet wet. Um, Basically, it's an easy project that you're weaving on a cardboard loom. So you just need basically cardboard, and it requires no sewing. So what could be better than that? One final note. 
the Craft Sanity t-shirts are finally ready. I have them in boxes in my house. I'll be selling these lovelies and my homemade pins that I'm just so excited to see people wearing on the Craft Sanity swag page very soon. So basically the only holdup is my husband and I are trying to figure out how one goes about selling t-shirts on the internet. If for some reason you have a Craft Sanity emergency and you need to get one sooner than I post them, oh, I'll certainly work with you. Because <laughs> I won't believe that there's really a Craft Sanity emergency and that you really need a shirt that bad. But, you know, I guess uh, if people are wearing my pins, I'm hoping that someone will want to wear a Craft Sanity t-shirt. And the good news is there's not a photo of me or anything, so there's no cause for alarm. Um, <laughs> it's a black shirt. You'll have your choice of pink or green print. On the front, it says Craft Sanity, pretty small. It's like a circle on the front, and it has uh, the little yarn ball guy on the back is the web address. So hopefully it's something that even those who have never heard of the show might be interested in wearing. Okay, so that's it. Thanks for sticking with me to the end of this show. I really appreciate that. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you have a show guest idea or a show um, topic suggestion, Feel free to forward that to me. Email me at jennifer at craftsanity.com. So, you know, when times get tough, as they sometimes do, don't worry. Just, you know, just craft sanity. It works for me. You guys have a great week, and I'll be back again next week with some more craft talk for you. Until then, keep on crafting sanity. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guest and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.